I mentioned last week when Brother Jonathan was installed as an elder that while what happened here over the last couple of minutes may have been quite simple in its ceremony, it is profound and it's exciting. There's a certain level of, by seeing these men in front of us, both our elders and our deacons, there's a certain level of stability that it places within our hearts, provides for us a, a vision of continuity, and that should help us be excited. Excited about not just our past and our present, but our future. If God should bless us with future days, it should help us see that this is a solid, continuing congregation. And one of the leadership is, is stable. Several weeks ago, Brother Ricky stood up here. He could not be here today. Brother Ricky stood up here on behalf of the elders and, and mentioned to us that the elders were seeking the names of those who might be uh, willing and desirous of serving in the office of elders. And in the next week, those who might be willing to serve as, as deacons. And in the process of that, you recall that instead of preaching a sermon about the qualifications of elders that we placed on the, the seats all over the auditorium, some, some sheets, some handouts that had those qualifications for us from Paul's writings to both Timothy and Titus, because they're very straightforward. And obviously, it's something we need to preach about from time to time, but, but we, we know what they say. But instead, we talked about basically what are elders to do? What, what, what is this role of an elder? What is this office of an elder? And we talked about the different terms that are all interchangeable as far as what elders are, pastors or shepherds, overseers, bishops, elders, and stewards. But what about our part in this? I want to say this from the outset, and I'm going to not probably not say it again word for word, but I'm going to hint at this several times in the lesson. When we think about elders and a congregation, I want you to listen to me carefully. This is not a, an us and them thing. This is an us thing. The elders are part of us. They are leaders. They are certainly you know, in a particular office or particular role. But we have a part to play in this as well. And this morning I want us to think about that. And it's very interesting to think about how the Bible, the New Testament, specifically speaks about our part in this, how we are to treat or how we can help elders along the way. You know, there are certain passages in the New Testament that really should guide this principle in our lives anyway. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, four very short commands but the first two really govern this part of our lives. They say, honor all men, love the brotherhood. That pretty much covers it. If we're to honor all people and love anyone who is a brother in Christ, that will include those who serve as elders. Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that Christians are to offer uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people. But then he specifically mentions for those who are in authority. And that would govern these thoughts as well. That Those principles are there in a universal way or a grand way. If I am to honor all people, if I am to love the brotherhood, and if I am to be praying fervently for every person, that governs how I am to be a help to those who serve as elders. But maybe, and I say that sarcastically, maybe the Holy Spirit knows us a little better than we like to admit. Because we know those overarching principles, those general principles. But then the, the Holy Spirit made sure that the inspired writers talked about some specific ways in which we are to help the elders. And this morning, I want us to think about four of them. 
And usually, you know, I like to basically usually take one text and and break it down into several points. But we're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, if you can find the T's, that is first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy and Titus, you'll have half our lesson. And if you can find Hebrews, you'll have the other half. We're going back and forth between those two sections of Scripture this morning to think about four things that we are to do if we are going to be helping our elders. In the first place, if I'm going to be a help to our elders, I need to esteem them. And you're going to have to run this up there because my remote control is gone. If you stole my remote, give it back. But anyway, we need to to esteem them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul said, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And here's the key phrase. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. By the way, I find it interesting that the very next command given in that passage is be at peace among yourselves. If we would be at peace among ourselves, surely the work of an elder would be much easier if we would just have that that peace among brethren. But it's interesting that you see in that context that we are to esteem our elders. The word esteem obviously carries with it the idea of, of a leadership quality. But I want to share with you two other verses where that same original word is found because it gives us some some flavor, if you will, to the meaning of the word. One is in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and, and Barnabas are in Lystra. And recall the people there think that Paul and Barnabas are gods come down among them. And the text tells us in Acts chapter 14 and verse 12 that Paul, excuse me, Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The word chief in that context is the same word as the word esteem here in 1 Thessalonians 5. But maybe more interesting than that is something Paul would write in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, a passage most of us know quite well, Paul said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And you may think, wait a minute, I didn't hear anything in that verse that sounded like esteem or chief or anything else. The word in Philippians 3, 7, it's the same as our word here, is the word counted. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, this word for esteem is really a word of proper perspective. It's a word of counting someone. It's a word of thinking of someone. It's a perspective word. I esteem our elders because of who they are. How do we treat our elders? How do we have that respect? We are to know their authority and have a proper view, a proper counting of them in that particular office. We are to think of them with a proper perspective. Yes, they are still men. They're still people. But they've been given a very special role that is worthy of our honor, our esteem. But notice again in that text in 1 Thessalonians 5 that Paul also tells us a couple of reasons why we should have that esteem for them. The first is we esteem them in love. You see, this esteem is not just something we do because we have to. or We feel we're forced to. We esteem elders in this way because we love them. And the word here is the word agape. It is that self-sacrificial, that others-centered love. This doesn't mean I'm always going to agree. It doesn't mean I'm always going to have warm feelings all the time. But it means I'm self-sacrificial toward the elders. I place my love in them. It's others centered in them. But also, Paul says, because of their work. Elders, pastors, shepherds, stewards, overseers, bishops, presbyters, 
who truly who truly work at that role are worthy of esteem. And it is a work. When you combine all of those roles we talked about in that lesson several weeks ago, and we try to get our mind around the mental work, but also the emotional strain that can be there, be theirs, even as a group, it is worthy of our esteem. When I belittle the elders, or when I don't think highly of what they're doing, I need to esteem them. I need to make sure that I hold them in a proper perspective. Number two. We're told in Scripture not just to esteem our elders, but to obey them. Hebrews 13, verse 17, really could not be any more clear in its command when it says, obey your leaders. You think, wait a minute, I've got leaders all over my life. I've got governmental leaders and leaders in the home and leaders at the job and leaders at church and leaders of neighborhood things. There's leaders all over the place. So so what what is the Hebrews writer talking about? Well, the verse goes on and says, these are the leaders who are keeping watch over your souls. And so obviously we are speaking here about elders and how elders will give an account of that awesome responsibility of watching over the souls of the congregation. But the word obey here is a very interesting word. It actually carries with it the idea of persuasion. What the Hebrews writer was actually saying is, I persuade myself to follow along. I persuade myself. I choose to comply. I choose to yield to the directives of the elders because they are elders. Now, this does not mean that elders have license to change the commands of God. We're going to say that a couple of times in this lesson. If, if, the, if they ever try to change Scripture or say Scripture says something that it doesn't say, that's different. The overarching principle always is we are to obey God rather than men. We understand that. But when it comes to matters of judgment, matters of expediency, Matters of just quote-unquote decision-making. I choose to comply. I choose to yield. Now, does that mean in a practical way that I can never give input? When I see something and I think, maybe maybe it'd be better if we did it this way, or maybe it'd be wiser if it did it this way, or I have an expertise in this area, and I, maybe I can lend lend my expertise in there. Of course not. Any eldership that seeks, excuse me, that, that does not seek and does not accept input is really on a very dangerous path because they're pulling away from the flock that they are to be among and seeking out the best for. But what it does mean is the flock does not have the final say. The shepherds do. That's all that works in, in the real life world of that picture of shepherds and a flock. If you think about the real world, the sheep don't have the final say. The shepherd does for the safety. And the same is true in a congregation. I may not see the wisdom in a particular decision, but I need to trust that the elders have my best interest and the best interest of the congregation in heart and in mind. I heard a story once, and you'll probably hear me tell this story, Lord willing, several times over the next few years because I love it. It's one of the best stories I've ever heard. It's true. There's a congregation, I'll just say less than 500 miles from here. How about that? That narrows it right down. But the place had been meeting in a particular auditorium for about 100 years, and they were growing. a small community, but they were growing. And they knew that they were out of space in the auditorium. There's no way they could continue to worship in that particular place. And so the elders prayed and planned and thought and did all kinds of things. And finally, one Sunday, they got up and proposed a building expansion. But because of the way their land sat and their building was, they were going to have to tear down part of and renovate the rest of this historic auditorium that had been there for a long, long time. I've actually been to that building 
not the new auditorium, but they actually built a fellowship building first so they could worship in there while the renovations were happening. And I, I went to this congregation uh, as a visitor one time when they were meeting in the fellowship building. But they made this announcement and they knew there's going to be feedback. This is a hundred year old building. And sure enough, the preacher who heard tell the story said he was in the back of the auditorium when the service was over. A lady, and if I remember the story correctly, who was in her 90s, came up to him and began her conversation with, I'm not happy about this at all. And he said, I braced myself because I was scared about where this congregation was going, where this conversation was going. But then this godly lady said, but I trust my elders. And if they've decided that's what's best for this congregation to grow, I'll go along with it. You see, that's the attitude. She, she wasn't happy and it's OK not to be happy. But she trusted. She esteemed and she obeyed. That's the attitude. I need to remind all of us that, that if the elders make a decision that I, I'm not happy with, I need to remind myself of Proverbs chapter six and verse 18, that one of the things the Lord hates is the one who would sow discord among the brethren. I don't need to form my own little camp. I need to form my own little way of doing things to go against the elders. I also need to say that I'm just not going to give. I don't like what they're doing over there. I'm going to hold my contribution. I give so much money that they're going to have to notice it. As, as politely as I know how to ask this question, could you please show me that Bible verse? That that's the proper attitude to have? I'm just going to go somewhere else. No. I'm going to esteem and I'm going to obey. And I may not like it in the moment. It may be difficult, but I'm going to do that. I choose to yield. We help by obeying. Number three, we help by not receiving an accusation against them. And this may seem like a strange addition to the list. But remember, the Lord knows us quite well. He knows that too often we like to hear juicy little details about leaders, right? If you don't believe me, just wait till some little juicy detail comes out about some politician and then jump on Facebook. It's going to be all that's on Facebook for the next 24 hours. It's crazy how stuff blows up on there. But in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I think it's interesting that last little part is on there, except in the case of witnesses, two or three witnesses being there. Because the original readers would have automatically thought of the Old Testament law. You remember the Old Testament law that no one could be put to death. You could not have capital punishment unless there were two or three witnesses. You couldn't just say, well, so-and-so stole my ox, he should die, and, and no one ever be there to corroborate the story. You had to have witnesses to this. Why then would Paul bring that same concept or that same mindset over to this command it's because of what i said a moment ago we sometimes like little juicy details about our leaders of all kinds and sometimes that includes our elders and it may not be physical capital punishment like it was in the old testament times but if i am continually taking in charges taking in accusations against my leaders without Witnesses without evidence. I'm assassinating their character in my own mind. And that's just as dangerous. That's very deadly to leadership. Are there times possibly 
when elders must have a charge brought against them? Sure. That's why this is here. Except in the case of two or three witnesses. Elders are still people. They're still going to make mistakes. There is no one, there is no person who is above falling into the snare of the devil. Elders, preachers, Bible class teachers, any of us can fall into the snare of the devil. We understand that. But if someone says, you know, I heard. And the next thing is a charge against an elder. The Christian response is you had better have proof. That's what the Bible says. There had better be proof. And it's not just something that's big or scandalous. A charge. An accusation. We don't listen to it. Unless there is proof. If we do, we're undermining the leadership. We're undermining the ability to shepherd. Because you have sheep who are rebelling. Number four. If we're going to help the elders... We need to remember the reward. I wanted to end here, even though it means we have to skip back to Hebrews, because I want to end with something positive. The final way to help the elders is to keep a proper perspective. And I get this again from that passage in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, which tells us again that elders are the ones who are keeping watch over your souls. What is the reward? Why do we have elders? Why is this there? Why is this whole office there? This whole group there, if you want to think of it that way. It's because there's a reward in all of this. The reward is they are righteous men who are walking among us, walking with us, walking before us to help us all end up in heaven. That's the reward of it all. You know, so often we're reminded it takes a lot of people to help someone get to heaven. We, we pray when, when, it, when a baby is born that, that the parents will help guide that child. That the parents will be the right kind of influence on that child. But even the parents say, we, we, we can help. We can't do this alone. We, we need help of, of, of a church. We need help in this congregation of, of a youth program. We need help of Bible school teachers along the way who will not just teach Bible stories, but will teach biblical principles to help in, in, infiltrate morality into that child. We, we understand it all through life, not just among children. Even we as adults, we need each other. To help us along the way. We need Bible school classes and other things to help us dig our roots deeper into the word of God. And to make sure that we are pointing the right direction. Sometimes that means we encourage some each other. Sometimes it means we, we admonish each other and say, hey, we're not doing right here. But we're going to walk together. It takes a lot of people to help each one get to heaven. But it's a very special place in the lives of Christians for godly elders. It's a very special place. Men who take that role seriously, who take that work seriously, who have the spiritual well-being of each member as their number one priority, there is a very special place in the life of a Christian for those men. Yes, there are, for lack of a better term, administrative things that must be done from time to time by elders. They have to consider sometimes air conditioning and parking lots and all kinds of stuff. That we, What in the world does that have to do with anything? And while that's part of it, the number one priority is how can I help souls get to heaven? And there is a special place when we remember the reward of having those leaders who help us do that. Help us walk each day and sometimes must admonish us and sometimes need to encourage us. And sometimes just need to put an arm around us. Now, with those things in mind, especially that fourth point, we've already started transitioning to our conclusion. Because I want us to think about what advantage is this? What advantage is this in the life of a congregation? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 ends by saying that 
we as Christians need to live in such a way that elders can serve with joy and not with groaning. And then it says, for that would be of no advantage to you. What, what would be of no advantage to us? If elders were serving with groaning. Do you remember the, the first qualification of an elder? It's not reproach, blameless, all those things in that list. If a man desires the office of an elder. And then it goes through the qualifications. I don't know any other way to say this, but this. That is not just a qualification for becoming an elder. It's a qualification for being an elder. And it's up to us as a congregation to live in such a way where that desire continues to burn within each man who serves that office. There are going to be difficult days. There are going to be emotional strains. Look, I I am not an elder. I'm not qualified, okay? I'm not an elder. But I have been in enough meetings and enough conversations at various congregations, ones I've worked at and some, sometimes, by the way, sometimes you got to go and hold a gospel meeting and you get some really interesting conversations and meetings that go on. You get stuff dumped on you sometimes. You think, wow, I had no idea. But I've been in enough of those conversations with elders that I know, maybe not in a personal way, but I know the strain, the emotional strain, the mental strain that it takes. But that should be the exception because of the way we live. When we live, when we act, when we treat one another in such a way that elders can serve with joy, folks, there's no stopping what a congregation could do. None. A congregation will do amazing things when we serve and live in such a way that elders continue to have that burning desire to be what they are. That's the advantage of it. You see, it's all in God's wisdom. It's all in God's plan. He didn't just say, well, sounds like good business sense to have some leaders, so I guess we'll have some elders. No, he understands the wisdom in all of this. He understands the advantage for us in all of this. Elders are not there to make God happy. They're there to help us become more glorifying to God. It is to our advantage. Elders really are men who have a vision. Elders are men who have a vision that says, I want every person in the flock to go to heaven. And I want as many people in that flock as possible. That's the vision of being an elder. You see, that's, that's the advantage. Elders see lost souls. And they see Christians. And say, I, I want Christians to go to heaven. I want to do everything I can to help with that. But I also see a world out here who's lost. And I want every person out there to become part of what we are. So that they can become an elder. What's the advantage in that? Where there is no vision, the people perish. But here's the question as we close this lesson this morning. That's the vision of elders. What am I doing to help with it? We are now blessed to have eight men who serve us as elders, who lead us, who carry all of those titles we discussed several weeks ago. I hope that you are thankful for each one of them, and I hope you are thankful for the group, the eldership. We have been blessed in years past 
to have wonderful men serve us as elders. Some have died, some have moved. And this congregation is blessed by that history. It's blessed by that continuity. But it's also blessed. Not just because we've had had and have good elders. This congregation is blessed because we have had and have good members. But I can't just say, well, I'm a member at Ninth Avenue, so I guess I'm doing everything right. This is a very, very personal question. It's personal with me, and I hope it's personal with you. I need to ask myself, not just am I a member at Ninth Avenue in good standing, but am I personally doing everything I can do to help the elders fulfill their vision? That's a deep question. It's sort of a philosophical question. But it's a question only I can answer. And I can say, well, yeah, I mean, I show up on Sunday morning. That's not what I asked. Am I doing everything I can do to help the elders fulfill their vision? Esteem them. Obey them. Do not receive an accusation against them. And remember the reward. Can I pull back the curtain real quick and tell you one thing? Not a single one of our eight elders asked me to preach this sermon. None. The group did not ask me to preach this sermon. For lack of a better way of putting it, I asked me (laughs) to preach this sermon. Because it's something we don't think about very often. And I want to end where I began. No matter what happens... Let me get down here. No matter what has happened or what happens, it is not us versus them. It is us. Am I doing everything I can to help? I honestly don't know how to transition from this sermon into the Lord's invitation. I've thought about it, prayed about it, and never got it done. I couldn't think of a great transition sentence from all of that to we need to be baptized and need to repent and all those things. Except to say this. That's the vision of the elders. I know them well enough to know that. But even if it wasn't, It's the vision of God. And that's what we're here for. Is to fulfill the vision of God. Are you doing that with your life? Are you doing that with your attitude? Are you doing that towards each other? Are you doing that in helping the church grow? Are you doing that in your own life? If not, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.